All right. Hello and welcome just to family. This is giving you something to talk about or just a live TV as I like to call it. I'm your host, Melissa Crutchler. I'm an identity coach, spiritual teacher, business mentor, creator, and founder of not only Just Alive TV, but also the Women Supporting Women Can Network. Today's episode, we are talking about climbing out of rock bottom. And our sponsor today is, is our guest speaker, Cindy Gersh. Um, go and check out their services. They're offering you a 20% discount on all of their service, um, as long as you type in Melissa. So check out that link below. And get yourself started on that. I'm even going to be asking her about her services when we're done. Go and check that out. All right. Cindy, would you like to introduce yourself? Yes, Melissa. Thank you. I apologize. I was a little distracted. I wanted to make sure that it was on my LinkedIn as well. And you graciously told me how to do that. So thank you, Melissa. I'm all set now. Um, Yeah, Melissa, thank you so much for having me as a guest. Um, I, yeah, I'm Cindy Gersh. And I do own um, a boutique strategic marketing agency um, that is an award-winning agency. I'm super proud of that. So yeah, I love that. And so I've been in the marketing communications world for 25 years. Um, And so I really work with a lot of different types of businesses. Um, I work with everything from professional sports players to multi-billion dollar developers, nonprofits, startups, and kind of everything in between. So I always say like, this is how I sort of describe it. If you have a problem, like with whether it's, you know, you need new clients or you have a crisis issue or you want to get out in the media. That's all the stuff that sort of I can help you with. So, um, yeah, I love it. And I've actually just started branching out to expand my services a little bit more where it was just the agency where now I'm actually offering um, not just the strategic marketing. I'm actually offering classes, master classes, and I'm doing a lot more speaking engagements. Um, that's why I'm here. And um, doing more sort of on the, I don't want to say cheaper, but the little less expensive side. Um, and that comes as a result of me working really um, significantly with smaller businesses. Yeah. Which is all amazing. So you and I here are t- here to talk about climbing out of rock bottom. Mm -hmm. And many people, when you hear rock bottom, you think drugs and alcohol, you think suicide, you think there are so many different things that you can think of when you talk about rock bottom, but rock bottom is really different for everybody. Everybody's version of rock bottom is whatever it looks like for them, right? The worst case scenario you can possibly imagine. Now, again, totally different for everybody else. Your rock bottom might be somebody's like very minor issue and that's okay. So for anybody watching or catching the replay, your rock bottom is always going to be your unique version of it. So screw what everybody else says. (laughs) Yeah, I absolutely agree. People hear my story or they hear my diagnosis and they're like, oh my God, now I feel like what I'm going through is nothing compared to what you have. And I'm always like, no, but it is because you're going through it. And for you, for your life, that is a huge deal. Like you can't compare yourself to others where other person's rock bottom or what they may be diagnosed with or what's going on in their lives because it's individual. It's what's happening personally to you, how you handle it and how that impacts your life, your family, the people who are around you. Yeah. And I want to say this, um, it doesn't matter what what your situation is, whether you're in a family that was silver spooned 
or if you are in a family that was on welfare or financially, it doesn't matter where you are in life. Your rock bottom doesn't mean you've lost everything. It doesn't mean you're not in a position where, you know, you can afford everyday luxuries, but maybe your mental health is at rock bottom or your emotional health is at rock bottom. There's always going to be that difference. And I just wanted to clarify that a little bit more deeper because, you know, we tend to in society say, well, that's not that bad. At least this isn't happening. And I call that situational shaming. When mm, you are okay. shaming somebody else or belittling or um, invalidating somebody else's pain because it doesn't compare to yours, you can't compare your pain to somebody else's. It's exactly. incomplete. Exactly. Oh, yeah. Exactly. 100%. Everybody faces things, faces challenges in their own way. And like you said, I mean, even when I was at my worst had you seen me out in public, had you seen me like at a store driving, doing anything, you would have been like, there is absolutely, you would have, you never would have known. And that's the thing. That's why I'm out sort of telling my story a lot more um, and talking about it more because people, friends, family, even had no idea this was going on in my life. Still don't until I've started to become a little bit public about it because it's a, you know, you're, there are things that you're ashamed of or you're embarrassed of or whatnot. But like you said, I mean, Nobody knew if you were to see me just out and about, I looked completely healthy, happy, everything in life would, you know, you would have thought everything was perfect and it wasn't. That happens all the time though. Look yeah. at the celebrities, look at, um, you have celebrities that have committed suicide and you look at them and you're like, you have everything. I've shared this story. I don't know how many times, but I started coaching when two of my favorite musicians had committed suicide back to back. They were very close friends. It was Chester yeah. Bedingfield and Chris Cornell. And oh, I love Chris they Cornell. had absolutely like back to back. They had committed suicide. And then you add in there, Kate Spade, you add in there, Robin Williams, uh, all of these very high profile individuals who committed suicide. They have everything the everyday person is looking for. Right. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, you look at the Kardashians. I remember, so I don't, generally I didn't watch the Kardashians show, but, um, it was streaming online or I watched, I, it, I caught it part of an episode and it was Courtney Kardashian was crying to Chloe about how, you know, I have everything that I could want, but I'm just not happy. Right. Mm -hmm. And I was like, hi, hi, please. Yeah. Like we yeah. need to connect because this is what I deal with. But at the same time, it's like so many people experience that. So the amount of people that put on those masks, and we've done an episode on that too, is what mask are you wearing, right? Um, uh, Rachel Peterson, who is a very um, high profile social media expert. Um, I, you know, I follow her, I've followed her for many years, and she had uh, a breakdown. And she's very been very vocal about it, right? On the outside, everything looks absolutely great. You're all upbeat and you're hyper and you're great and you're you look great, but inside you feel like death. Like it's mm -hmm. it happens all the time. So today we're specifically talking about yours. So let's okay. get into your story. And then if anybody has any questions, even if you're watching the replay, if you have any questions, please pop them in. Um, I do monitor questions after we aren't live anymore. So for sure get involved in the conversation. That's what this whole show is about. Um, and let's hear your story. Yeah. So I think exactly what you said is really, really important. And that's a big part of the reason that I started telling my story. I didn't even really realize that I had a story 
until one day I was at a networking event and I just started talking. And several people afterwards to me said, you have a story that other people have to hear. Like you can make a difference to other people in other people's lives. So yeah, I mean, what I, you know, I have very long versions of my story. I'm going to give you sort of a condensed version of it. But um, one thing I do want to say is, and maybe we can get to some other parts of it. My life has all these like little weird side stories to it as well, which is one thing that I want to say is what I've learned through this experience is that every single moment of your life, and this is what I start my longer speech with, because I started off from when I was five years old. something that happened to me when I was like, has like literally leads you to the moment where to to where you are today. And it might not make sense, but it really, really does. So, you know, I, so I used to be an avid marathoner. I've run 13 marathon, full marathons um, in my life. So many half marathons I've ran. um, My goal was to run all of the world majors, which is six. There's three in America, three overseas. And I had done the three in America, which is New York, Chicago, and Boston. So I had qualified and ran Boston, which for runners, marathoners, that's like the Super Bowl, right? And even interestingly enough, I actually ran it the year after the bombing. And one of my little side stories that I do feel is sort of important to tell because, you know, a lot of things, especially for people like me, type A, you know, I'm Enneagram three, I I like to have control over everything in my life. So as a marathoner, I, you train, right? You train, you train and you're running and, and you're eating well and you're not drinking alcohol and you're very disciplined. You're getting up at five in the morning. So you can run 15 miles before the workday starts. And I had been training for the New York City Marathon to qualify for Boston at the New York City Marathon because that was, I was like, how cool will it be to qualify for Boston at the New York City Marathon? One of the world majors qualified for Boston. So I, I like was, I knew I was going to do it. You know, like my, I was way above to qualify based on my time, fly to New York, get to the expo, get all my stuff. I'm so excited. Get in the car, driving back to my sister's house because she lives in Brooklyn and over the radio, it's like for the first time in history, the New York city marathon has been canceled. And I was like, what are you like? It was like a kick in the face because of hurricane Sandy. So hurricane Sandy had wiped through basically all of New York. Connecticut, New Jersey, if anybody knows anything about hurricane. And it was the right thing to do. But for me, with my luck, I was like, you've got to be freaking kidding me. I've been training for 15 months for this marathon. I haven't drank alcohol in six months. I've been eating nothing but carbs and lean protein. Like this is devastating for me. So I get back on, I get, I go home, I go run and I just let it clear my head. And I said, that's fine. I will qualify for next year's Boston marathon. And that's exactly what I did. Here's the interesting thing about that story. Had I run that, had Hurricane Sandy not wiped out New York City, I would have ran the marathon in 2012, which was the Boston Marathon bombing, okay? My family all was planning on going because that's iconic. It's Boston Marathon. You're going to qualify. I didn't run it in 2012, but I ran it the year after the Boston bombing, right? So, which was just in itself an amazing crazy situation. So I'm running. And then, you know what? I don't know when you run, you kind of are chipped and you cross over this sort of barrier thing. And that's when your time actually stops. So I'm running and my foot crosses that barrier. And the announcer goes, runners, if you're on the course, we want you to keep running. Spectators, policemen, volunteers, everyone else, 
we want to take a moment of silence. This is the exact minute that the bombs went off last year. So if you look at my time, my time is the, I left at 11 a.m. I was on the 11 a.m. Took me 2.47 to run it. The bombs went off at, at 2.50. My, which was three minutes, I was back. If you look at the time, my time is the exact minute that the bombs went off the year before. So when you ask like, why did things happen? And you truly say everything happens for a reason. I didn't know that when I was in New York City pissed off because I couldn't run that marathon. Now I was like, Oh my God, my family, like I saw, I have chills every time I, I tell this story because my family, my two young kids at the time would have been at that finish line yeah, waiting for me. So like you hear that story and I'm like, holy gee, like I get it. Like, so this is something I tell that story every time because maybe you don't see it right in front of your face. Something goes wrong or not as planned. I truly believe that maybe you don't see it then. Maybe it takes a year, maybe it takes five years. For me, it took a year and a half to see my, my time, my chip time being the exact second to the minute of when those bombs went off for me to realize like, had, had I ran it last year, I don't know what would have happened to me, my kids. I don't know what my mom, my sister, who are all going to be there. So yeah. I just think that's such a, a, a great story to really prove that you really don't know what's going to happen. So anyways, as an avid marathoner, I was running, running, running. And then in 2018, I... Um, thought that I was having a stroke. And so my husband rushed me to the emergency room. And I remember the doctor saying to me, the good news is, is that you didn't have a stroke. The bad news is, is that we think you have this super rare arterial disease, but we've never seen it here before. So we're going to ship your scans off to a hospital here in Atlanta that actually deals with this disease. Go about your regular life, don't be freaked out about this because you probably do not have this. 2% of the world has this. You probably don't have this. So I was like, okay, I'm going to go on with my regular life. This was in July. I ran a half marathon the week before I went to Emory and met with a doctor who looked at my scans in front of me and said, yeah, you actually do have this super rare disease. And not only do you have it, you have it really bad. You have a significant case of it. So I have what's called fibromuscular dysplasia or FMD. And that is a disease that makes my arteries really, really weak. So it puts me at high, very high risk for things like stroke, aneur uh, stroke aneurysm, dissections, heart attacks. Um, and not only that, it leaves you in, it's filled with chronic pain. So daily migraines, um, like I'm in chronic pain every single day. Like I'm in chronic pain right now. Um, I take seven prescriptions a day and I see six specialists. So before you continue that, when yeah. we did the pre-screening interview, I asked you, and I think that this is a valid thing for people to, to hear yeah. right now, what's your pain scale on a scale from one to 10, what would your pain scale be right now sitting doing this, this talk? Yeah. And I'm on very strong painkillers. I feel like people need to know that it's probably a five. Yeah. And yeah. see, when you and I were talking on, for anybody watching, when we talked on the pre-screening, it was sitting at a six. Yeah. And that that's exceptional. If you think of heavy duty painkillers, that's, that's a lot of pain even to be having it masked yeah. by those painkillers. So I, I wanted to, to. No, I think that that's a really valid point because what people don't understand about people like me or other spoonies who have rare diseases or people who have chronic pain like I do. Looking at me outside in the grocery store at my kid's school, 
nobody knows I look, I look healthy and nobody knows that I'm, I have this disease or this condition or that I'm in chronic pain. And I'm not going to let people know that, you know, I'm not going to, but yeah, I mean, with, before my, I got this medicine regimen under control, there were days where I couldn't get out of bed because I was in so much pain. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm on a very strong painkiller that they give to people with cancer. So if that tells you anything like a, how strong of a pain regimen I'm on, because what this disease does is not only does it make your arteries weak, it causes what are called lesions or misshapen arteries. And, and that can happen in any of your arteries and where that happens. That's typically where the pain or issues happen. So I have it in both parotids, both vertebrals, both renals and in my iliacs. And so my iliacs, it is really what causes the pain. That's my legs. It's caused like my legs are in chronic pain, but I also have migraines, but that is easier to control. You know, um, it also causes things like high blood pressure, all of that good stuff. Super fun. And, um, I, there's a list, <laughs> right. I, li I like the sarcasm, right. Is yeah. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's just a great disease. And the list of things that you cannot do on this disease is extensive because you don't want to have a dissection, right? So jet skiing, roller coasters, deep tissue massages, chiropractor, yoga, the list goes up. Things like um, ibuprofen, like things that you wouldn't even think of, like you, we can't do. So that was in October of 2018. I was diagnosed with this disease. And, you know, that's a kick in the face because you're like, I was healthy. I wasn't smoking. I didn't really drink. I was running marathons. I was, I was in the best shape of my life. So you're like, why me? Why did this happen to me? What, what did I do to deserve this? What did I do? I am mom. I have two kids. Like, this is not supposed to be happening to me. I am not supposed to leave my kids like this young. Because when you hear, when you hear things like aneurysm, strokes, heart attacks, you're like, Jesus, like, it's scary. It's really, really scary. And so I was learned to sort of deal with that disease. Because four months later, my husband, who was act, is active duty army, deployed for a year deployment overseas with the military. So I was left to deal with this very scary disease on my own while raising two kids who at the time were nine and 12. And that was very, very difficult. And almost immediately after he deployed, within the three or four months of his being deployed, not only did I have to deal with him being gone and the nervousness of that. I was also told that they found two brain aneurysms, which I still have, which are um, common with this disease. I lost my corporate job. I had a corporate job that was very lucrative, that I loved, that I was at for you know seven years. I lost my job. I, again, was told I couldn't run and I also couldn't work out because I was in so much pain. So for someone who was as active as me, that's horrible. Running was every my therapy. It just you know it was everything, and I lost about ninety percent of my friends, and that is not uncommon for people like me who have chronic diseases. But it hurts horribly. Friends who I've been friends with for thirty years just walked out. Um, so it was really it was horrible. It was I can, I have no words to describe how I felt like everything that possibly could have happened to me happened. To, oh, and I had a major major very unexpected surgery that took six hours and left me bedridden for almost eight weeks while I was taking care of two kids alone. And, you know, so it was very, I was down, like, I was like, there's, there's absolutely nothing else that can ha happen to me. There, I, I have this, I'm going to die. Right. 
I have, because I have two brain aneurysms. I have no job. My husband's gone. Uh, I can't run. I, I can't, there's not there. I'm, I'm tapped out. I'm done. Yeah. I'm in chronic pain. I'm done. And because I really felt like there was nothing else, right. That I could take. Everybody says, God only gives you as much as you can handle. And I really do believe that, but I was saying, God, like I'm tapped out, like done. And that is when I hit my rock bottom. And I became best friends with Kim Crawford, Sauvignon Blanc. She, me and Kimmy Crawford spent very long days together where I would wake up in the morning with a mimosa in my hand and I would go to bed with a martini in my hand because I wasn't working. And I became a very high functioning, I don't want to say alcoholic, but drinker. Like my kids didn't know, you know, but I drank every single day, all day, every day. I didn't eat. I wasn't eating. I was down to 95 pounds and I was taking seven prescriptions. I was so unhealthy on top of having this disease, right? Like things that I could control. So you add all the alcohol on top of it. You add the not eating, you add the not sleeping. And that really, um, having no support, right? Zero support. My family wasn't here. You've lost 90% of your friends. So having very little support, um, you really, I went crazy. I mean, I, I, I hit rock bottom. I, I said, this is it. I'm done. And I say to this, I say very, this all the time. If it weren't for my two children, I would not be talking to you right now. There were many times that I sat in my car in the garage with me so close to pushing that button or with pills in my hand. Like I, I, I'm done. Like I cannot, I can't do this. It was it was the worst time of my life. And I say that my ch children saved me, but in all reality, it was more than that. I, I say this um, a lot. This is sort of my, my trademarked phrase. There, I actually had one friend who stuck by me through this whole thing. And she went with me to the surgery. She went with me to my doctor's appointments. And literally I had one friend through this whole thing. And she literally is, I say this all the time. She dove deep in that hole that I, I was in and literally pulled me out of it. Like she wouldn't let, she would come over and stay until four o'clock in the morning just to sit with me. And she was what helped me drastically. And I say this all the time, and this is sort of my trait. I say one dime, all you need is one dime. One dime is so much better than 10 pennies, right? If you have one dime, that's all you need. One good dime. And so she, my girlfriend, Casey, my girl, she really like stayed up with me late at night. She came over in the mornings and she talked me off of a ledge a lot of times and helped me see that my kids deserve the mom. Right. And that things were going to get better. And then my husband came home and I was immediately in the hospital with sepsis, where I, again, almost died because of sepsis for two weeks. And who was with me in the hospital? Most of my husband, it was Casey, sitting beside me the whole time in the hospital. So it was Casey and it was my sepsis that made me realize like, because I got really like, when I think when you're really staring death in the face, that's when you have 105 degree fever and you're like, that made me realize like, it's, it, I have to do something. I have to, turn my life around. Mm -hmm. I am still alive. This is a potentially fatal disease, but I can live. I can live. Mm -hmm. 
so that's what I did. And I immediately stopped drinking, like through everything out of my house, like no alcohol in my house. And I started like walking because that's about what I can do. Walking my dogs, journaling, becoming way more spiritual and sort of rediscovering myself, if you will. I started becoming much more understanding of my disease, researching it, like really just finding other women who have my disease um, through chat rooms, social media, and all of that. And um, just really like throwing myself into researching and everything. And then I was like, you know what? I, I'm going to start my own business because I don't have a job and I know what I'm doing. I've been in this industry for so long. And so I, I was like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to work for anyone else. I'm going to prove to like, I'm, I'm okay. Like I'm going to do this. And so I took another leap of faith and that's exactly what I did. And four years later, here I am with this award winning, we've won three major awards, including best small business award and national award from the best of small businesses award um, that I'm, and I'm on the speaker docket talking about, you know, this rare disease. And I am so thrilled like that things in life turned around. And that's sort of my message, you know, that things can be, at, and that was my rock bottom when I had pills in my hand, looking at that easily could have killed me. Or when I was sitting in my garage, easily could have pushed that button and I wouldn't have been here. Like, but I, you know, woke up. And it's a lot of it is because that one dime, that one dime. Sometimes those people, and I, I love your story and I, and I'm so proud of you and, and appreciative and grateful that you, that you've chosen to share your story, especially on my platform, because that's what we're doing, right? We're sharing these stories to inspire other people. When you've hit rock bottom, everybody that I've talked to that have, that have been through trauma, who have been through and, and hit rock bottom, there comes a point in that rock bottom where it's either sink or swim. Yeah. You either sink to that rock bottom and you stay there or you decide that you're worth it. You're that something's got to give, something's got to change. And you go, but wait, I'm the one who has to make that change. There's a reality shift that happens. So I'm an identity coach. So for me, when you say that one dime, I'm like, there, there are absolutely people out there who can be that dime for you and help you see that you matter help you find yourself. Because when you've been diagnosed, when you've hit rock bottom, you don't know who you are. You're no. just, you're just the, the person that's drowning in, in misery and sorrow and pain and, and suffering. You don't know how to climb yourself out of rock bottom. The first part of that is saying something's got to give. Yeah. Right. You're, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely yeah. right. And to your point, I felt that FMD took my entire identity. So to your point, it took running. It took my friends. It took my job. It took my, it took everything that I had. So to your point, that's absolutely right. You don't know who you are. And that's why I became an identity coach. I love it. (laughs) I love it. Because that's what it is. You, you know, and, and when we went at the beginning of this episode, when we started talking about, you know, Chris Cornell and Chris Bedding, uh, sorry, Chester Beddingfield, and um, Kate Spade and all of that, you can have the world at your feet and still not know who you are. That's right. And that's, you know, there, there are so many things. And one of the big things, and this, I, I've been preaching this like crazy, is 
your emotional health, your emotional health, not your mental health, not your physical health, your emotional health is what messes with every other aspect of your life. It screws your mental health. It screws your physical health. It's, it, it, it screws everything. Um, and one of the things is, is when you're drowning in, in rock bottom or you're drowning in your sorrows or your suffering, you're not wrong. <laughs> Every, yeah. Everybody goes through that. So, you know, if you need to wallow for a little bit, wallow for a little bit, it's teaching you something. But when you can go and finally release those emotions, right? You had your friend so that you could release what you were feeling. You could tell her and be vulnerable and say, this is how I feel, right? Or that wake up call that kind of smacks that emotion out of your head and goes, you're not feeling that way now. Mm-hmm. And you go, Oh, you know, once you take that emotion off the table, then you start to think, then you start to say, what can I do? What's, what's got to change? What don't I like? That's when you actually start to make that change. It's one of the reasons I created the rockstar method, right? It's recognize how you feel when you learn to control your emotions, you learn to control everything else because you're not, you're not drowning anymore. You're not saying I can't get out of this. I, you know, um, oh, woe is me. And I'm not saying that as a pity thing. We all say, oh, woe is me. Yeah. Right. I, yeah. I put my dog down in December. Woe is me. Right. Because I wallowed in that. And I'm like, I'm still not completely over that. And I yeah. never will be, but you, you need to feel those things. Absolutely. And I think it mm. is so important to recognize and to realize that there always is one, one dime. There always is what, even if you feel like, so for me, I felt very much alone, extremely alone. And I, my family is extremely tight. Like it's, so I always knew that my mom and my sister were there, but you know, I'm down here, they're up there in New York. And so it wasn't like we were here every time, you know, every day, but sometimes you have, I realized also, I think I, I know I shut people. I became like sort of a closed box too, because I was like, I just didn't want to deal with anything, right? It's easier sometimes to just say, no, I'm just going to sit here and wallow, like you said, and just drink my Sauvignon Blanc, watch my trash TV shows and like do nothing else except feel sorry for myself. And, you know, that is, you've got to also realize that, you know, it's okay to like let people in, to let people in who want to help you. Like, and sometimes it takes a little bit of time, but they're always... there is always someone out there to help you always, always. And it might not be someone you even know. It could be someone that you met who's got the same disease as you online and that's okay. You know what I mean? There is always someone here to help you. And the other thing is, is this, like my spirituality, as I said, has become huge to your point about the emotional that has helped me. So journaling and just becoming much more spiritual person. And I think that's helped me because you know what the reality is, is, shit continues to happen. Am I allowed to swear? Am I allowed to say that? Too late. Sorry. Um, Life continues to happen, right? And things are going to happen that are going to still suck. You know, this Christmas, my husband of 17 years left me a note saying he wants a divorce. That was just this past Christmas, four months ago, um, because of my disease. He can't handle my disease. 17 years we've been married. Had that happened four years ago before he deployed when everything else was happening, that would have made me 
set me off. It, it just, I would have reacted very, very differently than I'm reacting now. Am I upset? Of course. I mean, yes, we've been married 17 years together, 20, we have two kids. Am I mad? Of course I am. Like you're another piece of my life that is leaving because of my disease, but you learn to handle those things a little bit better with a little bit more grace because you, again, I, I say a lot of it is because of the spirituality. A lot of it is because I'm journaling and I'm learning how to handle these things a lot better than I could have four years ago. I can tell you <clears throat> the four reasons why you are able to handle that differently. One, you're controlling your emotions, right? I'm. It's okay to feel whatever it is that I'm feeling. I'm going to feel that, but I'm not going to let it stop me, right? You're done being overwhelmed and not overwhelmed, but controlled by your emotions because that's what it is, right? Think of your ex-boyfriend or, or think of an ex, right? Any, any type of ex. Think of them having control over every aspect of your life. Right. That's what your emotions do. Mm. Like how mad do you, like, I get mad thinking about that. Like anybody else having control over my life, I'm always in control. Why? Exactly. Right. Why am I letting these, so climbing at a rock bottom, because what we're talking about today, get control of those emotions because they're controlling you. Absolutely. And that's not okay. That's what makes you act out. That's what makes you react. That's what makes you stay stuck in that emotional box that Cindy was talking about, you know, Mm -hmm. all of these different things. So that's number one. Number two is, you know, who you are now. Yes. Yeah. Right. When you figure out who you are, you be, you automatically start to build confidence in who you are and how you express yourself in in the control that you have in your day to day and the control you have of what, what am I going to do today? That's good for me. And if stuff comes up, I get to choose how I respond to it rather than react to it. Right. Um, three is knowing that the one dime, right. Knowing yeah. that there are people out there who are there to support you, who've got your back. And even if you can do it on your own, you don't have to. Right. Right. And then number four, knowing what you want and having the accountability, the responsibility and the trust in yourself to make it happen. Mm, I love those. I love that. And you've absolutely hit the nail on the head. I mean, that's all 100% true, 100% true. And I think from this, from me being diagnosed and having FMD, um, I, I went from feeling like a victim right? Because I did to feeling almost empowered, right? I'm I'm like, I'm not going to let this disease take any more of my identity. In fact, I'm take, I've taken my identity back, right? And I'm saying like, screw you, FMD. Like I've, I've researched, I know everything that there is to know about it. I am doing everything in my part to be as healthy as I can, you know, to keep, to meet as many people as I can about F, uh, who have FMD to talk about it. This is a reason why I'm on the speaking docket, why I do as many podcasts, to raise awareness about it because just like another person or an ex, I don't want FMD controlling my life. And it did for too long. Mm-hmm. It did for a year. And I don't ever want to go back to that spot. And for anybody watching, I want you to think about uh, people don't realize this. And this is when I get to tell people this, it's like the look on their face is so, so shocking. So I'm going to use you as an example. Um, think about how much power and control you have to be sitting here at a level five pain 
on massive amounts of painkillers, not massive amounts, but massive strength painkillers. Mm-hmm. And you're running an award-winning business. Mm-hmm. How much strength does that take? Yeah. Right? Yeah. We don't know how strong we are until, yeah. you know, we, we did yesterday how to take a compliment. And, you know, I, one of the comments that I made is when somebody makes a compliment about you, it's their, them viewing you that way. Mm-hmm. You don't have to believe it, but it's them viewing you that way. So the fact that somebody gave you an award for your business and they view it that way. Right. Right. And that just, that builds your confidence. It builds your strength that says, I got this. This is what I'm doing. You can't stop me. And then it is an FFMD. Right. <laughs> right. Right. And yeah. Just, yeah. Just a big one. Um, all right. So is there anything you'd like to add before we get going? No, I mean, I just want to say this. I think it's really important for, you know, people to hear and to know that, you know, I always say that no matter, you can get out of any situation. I, again, I have to take this back to my marathon running because it's, everything happens like life. When I would be at the 24 mile or 23 mile struggling, it was my heart that got me through in my head, right? It wasn't my legs. And the reality is, is that even when it was 85 degrees and I'm thirsty and I'm so angry because I want to qualify, it was literally my heart and my head that got me through. And so when you're at rock bottom or you're feeling like you can't go any further, right? You're up, up against that wall. And that's what we called it when we were ran marathons, you hit the wall. You, your heart and your mind is so much stronger than you think, right? It really, really is. And so all you need really is that one dime or that one bit of positivity, that one little thought that you remember from your past that makes you happy, or one little glimmer of hope that, you know, of something positive that's coming up and that can really help. Right. And the other thing I want to say is this, we, as you just said, we are very strong as humans. We're very strong. And just, I think it's really important to remember that. Right. And if you want to do something, if you want to start a business or you want to start a podcast, like just do it. Cause here's the other thing I learned from getting sick. You do not know what tomorrow is going to bring, right? I didn't know when I woke up that morning that I was going to end up in the emergency room. And four months later, I was going to be diagnosed with this potentially fatal disease. So love every day, take every day as if it's your last, tell people you love them and let stuff go. Like, don't let the small things bother you. Like, let it go. Is frozen. Elsa said. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Well, I want to say thank you for joining me today and sharing your story. I really appreciated your time and your and your openness. Thank you. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much for letting me come on and tell my story Absolutely. and raising awareness for FMD. Absolutely. I'm always up for that. Um, for anybody watching or catching the replay, <clears throat> please go and check Cindy out. Her links are in the description of this episode. Also check out her business services company, um, that is offering you 20, 20 off of all of her services. Uh, mm-hmm. if you type in that code, Melissa. So of course my name, one L two S's, remember that. Um, so go and type that in, uh, check that out and, and get involved. Um, if you or anyone, you know, has FMD, please share this episode with them, connect them with Cindy, um, mm-hmm. and she can connect them with other, uh, individuals who have it support groups, uh, chat forums, stuff like that. So, Lots of love. I wish you all a wonderful afternoon, morning, or evening, depending on when or where you're watching. And I will see all of you on the next episode. Thank you. Bye.